Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Continuing forward in the book of Acts together. Acts 16. I'll be reading from verse 36 of chapter 15 to verse 15 of chapter 16. You'll see the verses of focus are verses 6 through 10. Brothers and sisters, please listen very carefully because this is God's holy and infallible word. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. And thus ends the reading of God's Word. Amen. 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 Please be seated. You'll see there on the second page of your sermon notes that I've included 
a helpful map of Paul's second missionary journey with the locations tagged on the map. And for those of you listening later, uh, elsewhere, it would be helpful if you called up a map of Paul's second missionary journey to get a sense of the movement that Paul and his team are taking westward. Today's sermon really will focus on biblical decision-making. And so we've all probably been in this situation where we need guidance from God. We need answers to very real questions. And we'll see that in the realm of ethics, uh, there's a lot to be said in Scripture, more than we can cover today. But there are some general categories of thought that we see demonstrated to us here in today's text that I believe will help each of us examine ourselves and see where we are in these areas. And then we can ask ourselves if we should expect or not the same kind of guidance that Paul and his team received back then. About biblical decision-making, this is a quote from Pastor Phil Kaiser's uh, letter that he wrote to the Presbytery giving us his thoughts on a particular ethical question. He says, As Greg Bonson has pointed out in his ethics class at Jackson Reformed Theological Seminary, ethics is incomplete if we do not apply the authority of the Bible to all four areas of ethics on any given question. He labels the four areas of ethics as deontology, situationalism, existentialism, which Pastor Kaiser prefers to call that category, personalism, and teleology. So the four big words are deontology, situationalism, existentialism, or personalism, and teleology. And we'll use examples along the way to clear up what each of those mean. Deontology deals with laws or rules where many policy statements begin and end. This is referencing the direct prohibitions and requirements given to us in Scripture. This is the area of deontology. Situationalism deals with the unique circumstances of the situation. Each situation will have its own circumstances. And we'll see that in today's text. And providence is a major part of looking at our situation to understand God's guidance. Personalism deals with what is unique about the individual in question. And really this comes down to what do you love? What is your heart's love? What do you treasure? What grips you? And teleology deals with the future direction in a person's life. By doing what you're doing, what are you trying to achieve? What outcome are you seeking? Luke 12, 29-34. If you think about it as you hear this scripture, you'll see all four of these concepts brought forward to us. Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. You see a heart's love described here. You see a goal, a teleology, what you are seeking to be a part of is present here. Who are you? What or whom do you love? What or whose kingdom are you seeking? So you can see from this why I've titled the sermon, Do Not Fear, Little Flock. We can be like Paul and his team as we worship God and trust in Him. We can find guidance as sure as they did. We'll look at an overview of the current situation that Paul and his team finds himself in, what question is on their mind, what guidance they need, and then we'll see how the Lord leads them, forbidding them to preach the word in Asia, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then does not permit them to go into Bithynia. And then they pass by Mysia and go straight to Troas. We'll learn from that as well. And then we'll see the sunrise and the Macedonian call comes and their question is answered. And we'll see their immediate obedience and we'll learn from that as well. Do you want guidance from God? It turns out that this kind of clear guidance usually comes to those who are the kind who immediately obey. Next we see blessings in resting in God's providence. Luke joins the team with them and will rejoice in that and speak a bit about that as well. And then some basic questions for each of us to examine ourselves in light of these ideas. So first of all, an overview of the current situation which really gets us to the question that they have on the table for God, the guidance that they are seeking. So let's back up a little bit. Paul's initial plan, he said, let us now go back, he's talking to Barnabas, and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So that was Paul's initial plan. But you recall because of the division with Barnabas, Paul leaves Cyprus for Barnabas and John Mark And he only goes to the Galatian churches. And so that's what we saw last week. Now, with the exception of Perga, and this is a mystery. I couldn't find in the commentaries kind of why this happened. I think we can speculate. But with the exception of Perga, which he does not go south to preach in Perga, which is one of the original cities, Paul has accomplished his goal at this point in their journey. Remember from uh, verse 4 and 5, And as they went through the cities... They delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So they've completed his purpose for southern Galatia at this point, except for the city of Perga. So here's their situation. They've apparently reached the westernmost city of Pisidian Antioch, one of those cities where they had planted a church. They've accomplished their goal there in that westernmost city city. They've completed their initial plan of strengthening the Galatian churches, and now they have a decision to make. Now, you can think about it, maybe there wouldn't have been a decision to make if Barnabas and Paul had stayed together, if John Mark had come with them. It's a new situation now that they're in, that Paul is in. Now, the good news is he's got a replacement for John Mark already. Timothy is with them. So what are they going to do next? <clears throat> you, you have to think that Paul considered going to per- Perga. I don't know that. But he said he wanted to go to every city. But you know, that's south. That's down in Pamphylia, if you look at your map. 
That's on the border with the Mediterranean Sea. And there was something going on in Paul's mind to keep heading west, west-northwest. So what do they do? They go to Perga, or do they forge ahead with a new path to plant new churches elsewhere? <clears throat> and if so, where? So like Abraham striking out on a journey, not knowing their destination, they move westward and northwestward. The westward overland movement of the team is a part of understanding this text and feeling the movement of this text. <clears throat> Ever since 1541, he and his team, since Antioch, have been traveling westward. This sense of movement, of pressing forward to the west, carries through into today's text. There's also a sense of personalism here that we need to recall from last week's sermon. What is their motive? What is their heart's fire? We looked at it last week, didn't we? Why would Timothy be circumcised as an adult man when he really didn't have to be? Why would Paul go back through these cities where he was stoned and left for dead? The love of Christ compels us, he said about seven years later, writing to the church at Corinth. And remember this letter is from Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. <clears throat> now look, <clears throat> when you think of the love of Christ, it's not some hallmark card. It is defined. You want to consider Christ's love, listen to what Paul considers. That if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So what's going on with them? Is their gratitude and love towards Christ who suffered for them. They consider his suffering and they love him. They consider his resurrection and they want to bring him glory. Whatever, whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, you can finish this in your own mind, can't you? Do it all for the glory of God. This is what they're after. <clears throat> this, if you will, is the, the wind that's driving them westward. But there are rules about this. There's a deontology here. There's commandments that they have been given. To preach the word of God. This is the commandment that they've been given. From Luke 24, 44 to 48, this was given to all the apostles. And we'll see specifically what Paul received. Jesus said this to all of his apostles. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scripture. Then he said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So their heart is aflame with love towards God. But their minds are enthralled, captured with this commandment to preach the word of God. This is the rule of their life. <clears throat> and Paul's specific call 
The Lord said to him, <coughs> this is the Lord speaking to Ananias, telling Ananias what to say to Paul. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul has his marching orders. He's got his deontology before him in his decision making. He is to preach the word. He is to preach the word to the Gentiles. Oh yes, to the children of Israel as well. But he is the apostle to the Gentiles. And note also the promise, the Holy Spirit's presence and power. A critical part of receiving God's guidance is walking in the Spirit. I hope that we will all see God's graciousness in His commandments. His commandments to us are always accompanied by the Holy Spirit's presence and power for His people who are seeking to love and to obey Him. And and when you think about it, it's everything we need, His presence. The love that we want to have for Him, the understanding of His commandments, being bounded by His law, walking in His ways, guidance, knowing where to go next, what to do next. We must walk in the Spirit, and He promises that we are not alone, and that He will help us. So, there they are. They're in that situation. You see their heart. You see the commandment to them. You see their situation. You see what they're going through, trying to get wisdom from God to understand where to go. They know what to do, but they need to know where to go. All right, you ready? Verse 6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. What is their end? What are they after? What's their goal? We know their heart. We know the rule that binds them, what they must be doing. What are they trying to achieve? In verse 6, we see the team made a decision to strike out from Pisidian Antioch, continuing west and northwest through central Turkey in the regions then known as Phrygia and Galatia. And you can see those on your map. They were not hindered in any way in this initial effort, westward and northwestward. And we know their efforts in those towns would have been to preach the word. They always preached the word when they found people. Yet no mention is made of preaching, but rather only of wandering. So what we are intended to get primarily from this text is that they know they're supposed to go somewhere else, but they don't know where. They're wandering. So we learn from this verse that they have indeed defined a new goal for their work from this point forward, different from the initial goal of preaching to all the planted churches. By preaching the word, that's their commandment, they are now seeking to plant new churches elsewhere to the west and northwest. This is now their goal, their teleology for this journey. You see all the pieces of their decision making coming together. What do they want? They just want a place where they know God has called them to preach the word of God. To plant more churches. Motivated by the love of Christ for his glory. And they're moving from one place to the next. You get a sense of their searching. Hoping to find another place where the gospel will bear fruit by God's power and grace. They've seen it once and they're knocking on doors. You can see it. They're going from place to place looking for where the spirit has prepared the kingdom to arrive. 
I want us to note here a very important point. The Lord steers moving ships. Those of you who have spent time in boats, tell me how hard or easy it is to steer a boat that is not moving. Why, you can turn that wheel all day long, can't you? And nothing will happen. You see the motion underway here. The wind has their sail. They just don't know which way to point the rudder. The Lord steers moving ships. Seeking God's guidance always involves knocking on doors. Uncertain of the outcome as we knock. Look, if you demand certainty before you knock, you will be a ship not moving in the water. And you'll be, you'll be spinning that wheel and going nowhere. You've got to have confidence to knock on doors that you know God is going to leave shut. Or that He might leave shut. Yet, all the while, glad and rejoicing and certain because He is the master locksmith. He holds the key to every lock. And He will either unlock it or He will keep it locked. And you will have His answer. And this is according to His infinite love and His infinite wisdom. And think of it, He's teaching us to trust Him along the way. Seeking guidance is not simply a mystical activity alone in your prayer closet. You are out. You are moving. You are going. You've got enough information already to perceive the particular doors that might be good options. So get busy and start knocking. Jesus said in Luke 11, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We should be greatly encouraged when we consider our need for guidance and God's promise to direct us. So the Spirit we're told, closes the door for them to go into Asia. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. They knocked on Asia's door somehow. So we don't know how the Spirit moved to forbid the team from going directly westward into Asia. The details are not given to us. So be careful. We have to just pause and don't go into speculation mode. We must conclude that the exact way that the Lord did this, that's not meant to be our focus but rather that the Lord did guide them as they sought Him. That is what matters. <clears throat> this must be our focus in this text. Now that is a great mystery. I think anyone who reads this text is going to wonder what happened. That's legitimate. But don't, don't go down that rabbit trail. We have plenty of Scripture that gives us principles for biblical wisdom. Principles for biblical decision making. The Lord leads those, brothers and sisters, who are motivated by His love, who are devoted to His commandments, and who are seeking His desired outcomes. And He can and He does provide for us this real-time guidance for us, His people, as we're underway. 
through objective providences and multiple biblical principles of wisdom, which we need to study. We need to know how to understand providential events, and we need to understand biblical principles of wise decision-making. We're not getting into that today. The larger point is to see God's care as our shepherd, to guide us and to lead us. We have to say this team was at least considering preaching the word in Asia, and it was into this door-knocking, seeking, that the Lord gives the team his direction. Critical point here. For anyone in this room or who's listening to this later, if you're seeking God's guidance, you have to be on the move. You have to have a general sense of the providence, the situation. You have to have a love for God. You have to love His commandments. And you have to desire His goals. And there's going to be enough if that's where you are, to start moving, to get questions answered about serving Him. Don't expect the Lord's guidance if your door knocking is not accompanied by devotion to His commandments. There are connections in these four areas. They influence one another. You see the team's rule? They wanted to preach the Word in Asia. And they were forbidden, they were prohibited from preaching the Word. So it's their obedience to his word that leads them to knock on the doors. You see this? Why did they knock? Because they love him and they want to obey him. They want to carry out what he said to do. This is their unquestioned abiding commandment. And they're seeking the where of their work, not the what. So don't expect the Lord's guidance if your door knocking is not accompanied by devotion to his commandments. So a whole other you know, way to compare and contrast is if your heart is not in the right place, <clears throat> if you do not love and embrace God's law as your rule of life, if you are not seeking what he is seeking, should you expect guidance or wandering? Guidance or confusion? Clarity or uncertainty? Now, there's times of uncertainty. But ultimately, what we see here, this great encouragement to us, is as we are filled with the Spirit and granted His heart and His mind and His goals, we are given His guidance. This should greatly encourage us. Now, <clears throat> another thing to learn here is that sometimes God's answer <clears throat> is not no, but it's not yet. So this gets to the idea of patience. And waiting, which we'll also see in Psalm 130, which we read this morning already. Looking forward a bit in Acts 19, verses 8 through 10. <clears throat> he's in Ephesus. Where is Ephesus? It's in Asia. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Who's he? That's Paul. Where's Paul? He's in Asia. What's he doing? He's preaching the word. So God didn't say no. God said not yet. And it was fruitful. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. 
How many who dwelt in Asia? All who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. So this has got to be a great encouragement to Paul some years later to look back to this big closed door and say, I see now. I see now. This, it's better this way. Now, we're wise and mature when we can accept that the moment the door doesn't open. And we can see with the eyes of this text before us and know that God's perfect hand is always unfolding His perfect story. So you've got to knock on those doors with the right attitude. I mean, think about it. What does Paul want to do? He wants to go preach the Word in a place filled with Gentiles. But the door won't open. How does he respond? Well, let's move on. He didn't go home. He didn't head south back to Perga. He didn't pull a John Mark. He didn't say, woe is me. He kept moving. So what happens next? After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Now, this can become discouraging. This is where you can begin to question your call. Right? What was their call at this point in time? To plant new churches. The goal? To plant new churches. This is where the team members might be looking at Paul going, I don't know. You know, we're kind of pretty far north now. We're up here in major pagan territory where people are not safe. What are we going to do now? Their motion west and northwest continues. The team's on the move. They're knocking on doors. They're not discouraged. They stay together. They continue forward around the mission. That prior closed door into Asia, how'd they respond? They didn't give way to discouragement or despair and stop moving ahead. They just kept on going. They're obedient. They did not stop trusting the Lord and think evil of God like their fathers in the wilderness had done when they wandered for 40 years. You see, brothers and sisters, we Christians can wander around. We can give way to discouragement when God closes doors. And we can forget these lessons. But if we, by God's grace, can have our minds renewed by truths like this, <coughs> we can rise up from today's message <coughs> and go forth and not experience discouragement when God closes doors. <clears throat> I want us to see that when their heart was in the right place, the love of Christ compelling them, and their minds are captured by His commandments, and their goal is His kingdom, why this keeps His people encouraged, trusting His guidance, even after He closes doors. And I want us to see that such believers like you and me grow more and more as His disciples as they boldly knock on doors seeking to do His will. I was wondering lately if the Lord intends to pre present to us a distinction when He calls some people believers and some people disciples. I would hope that we would all want to be disciples, certainly believers. I may be making more of the words than I should, but clearly the word disciple means to follow Jesus. And we have to think that if you're a believer, you're going to follow him as well. But perhaps there's a transition that we have to go through to learn to follow Jesus, to where our faith in Christ turns into walking into the good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. 
So what happens next is the Spirit did not permit them. They've just been through this. They're continuing forward. We don't know any details. The Lord does not give us any details. Same thing as before. What, what matters? God provided them guidance when they needed it as they were knocking. It's clear that they, it even says they tried to go into Bithynia. That's the door, Bithynia. Knock, knock, knock. Wouldn't open. Was it a storm? Was it vandals? Was it some sense that the, all the team had when they were taking their notes? We don't know. <clears throat> but Jesus is our good shepherd. And He is alive. And His rod and His staff comfort us. He leads us in paths of righteousness for His namesake. He put it this way in John 10.27, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. And that's mysterious how He does this. Our, our shepherd lives, and He loves us, and He guides us. I want us to think upon the Lord's kindness to provide us help when we knock on the wrong door. And I want you to see it's not limited to only our first wrong door. They knocked on two wrong doors. Just keep knocking is the message. He ever leads us. Keep the wind in your sail to do His will. And keep moving forward to find out what He's leading you to do. Where He's leading you to preach and to live and to serve. And, and this applies not just to the where, but... The what, perhaps some of you are entrepreneurial, some of you are considering educational choices, some of you are considering spouse choices. choices. I mean, this, this applies to every decision that you might make in life before the Lord. <clears throat> now, don't expect the Lord to close the door when you grab a particular pair of socks out of the drawer in the morning. You can paralyze yourself. Uh, with that kind of trivial nonsense thinking. I think we can all use some basic wisdom to see the kind of decisions that are in view here. Commentary says, we must now follow providence and submit to the guidance of that pillar of cloud and fire. And if this suffer us not to do what we essay to do, that means what we try to do, we ought to acquiesce, that means give in and believe it for the best. So what Matthew Henry's saying here is he's kind of referencing the idea that maybe the Apostle Paul received some supernatural guidance. Maybe he did. We don't know. We, we think probably not, at least not a vision, because again, we're about to see a vision. And all the details of that vision are reported to us, so we kind of are led to wonder if we wouldn't have heard that level of detail in these first two events as well. <clears throat> but we don't know. <clears throat> Either way, today, the Lord still speaks. He still guides us. He speaks to us by his word, by his people, by providence, working in us by his spirit to lead us to knock on doors until we get answers. So where's Mysia? You'll see there it's in <clears throat> northwestern Turkey. Again, I hope you will pray for Turkey. I hope you will pray for the gospel in Turkey. As you read this, I hope you will grieve over the state of the church in Turkey. Uh, Troas was in this region of Mysia on the western coast over on the Aegean Sea. Bithynia is northern Turkey up there on the Black Sea. 
Hey, guess what? God's answer isn't always no. Sometimes it's not yet. We see that again here in this situation. We have to wait. Submitting to the Lord's guidance sometimes means we have to wait. 1 Peter chapter 1, listen to who Peter sends his letter to. An apostle of Jesus Christ, and you might want to look at the map while, while you're hearing this scripture. <clears throat> to the pilgrims of the dispersion, dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Peter probably wrote this around A.D. 65. So we're looking at about 15 or 16 years later. There are churches, elect, walking with Christ, receiving this letter all throughout what is now modern-day Turkey. If you'll see, those, those Roman colonies make up the entire, essentially the entire nation of what is today Turkey. How often do we want now... Right now, what we want from the Lord. And so often it's easy to justify it because what does he want to do? He wants to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. I mean, do you not weep on your pillows because his law they do not love? Do you not weep on your pillow because you find in your own heart that you don't love him? Do you not weep over the state of the world today? Do you not want to see righteous laws in our land and the ending of innocent bloodshed? Do you not want to see the kingdom come? And so we cry out to God and we go and we try to be a part of these things happening. And do they happen in our time frame? Is the abortion mill over in Augusta still standing? Are they still killing babies over there? You see, this is very real. We bump into God's providence. And we say, why, Lord? Well, brothers and sisters, a better, a, better, a better attitude is from Psalm 130. In His Word, I do hope. This helps us to walk in the Spirit and to trust His ways and His timing and to know that He knows best and to really believe that. Submitting to the Lord's guidance often requires us to have great patience. What we want right now, the Lord may not have for us right now, but maybe for later, we must walk in the Spirit. And we should be encouraged because in both of these situations, what they wanted, God gave later. And they even got to see it with their own eyes, or at least hear about it. Listen to Psalm 130 and imagine a sun, the sun rising. You know, the watchman, he's been there all night. In the dark. And the only way he knows that his watch ends is when the sun rises. How does he know when he gets to go home, be with his family, get some food, get some sleep? When the sun comes up, get into the mind of the watchman. Because that is the mind of the Christian seeking God's guidance. Listen to this. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. So we have to wait for the Lord. We have to be patient for the 
sunrise of his wisdom upon us. So they've learned a few things at this point in time. They have an idea of what doors not to knock on at this point in time. I don't know if maybe Mysia was similar enough to Asia and Bithynia that they knew not to knock on that door. I don't know. But they didn't. And sometimes we'll gain wisdom over time to say, you know, I don't think that's the kind of door I'm supposed to be knocking on right now. So somehow they know not to go into Mysia in northwest Turkey. Uh, this is a really very important strategic area of the earth right there, bordering the Sea of Marmara and the Strait of Bosporus on the north and the Strait of the Dardanelles on the south. The Black Sea provides a warm water port uh, to the north and is a very important strategic point. They don't go up there. They pass by there and they go to Troas. And when I was looking at the commentaries, apparently this, is, this city is linked with the city of Troy, that ancient battle. So based upon the Spirit's guidance in the past two episodes, they have a stronger sense of direction now. It appears as though they're far more confident to just head west. <clears throat> and they're focused, it appears, even upon Troas. They know that's where they need to go. About Troas, the commentary says, here a church was planted. For here we find one in being in chapter 20, there's a church there, and probably planted at this time and in a little time. We're not told for sure, but the church certainly could have been planted when Paul came through. It should seem that at Troas, Luke fell in with Paul and joined himself to his company. For henceforward, for the most part, when he speaks of Paul's journeys, he puts himself into the number of his retinue, saying, we went, in verse 10. So Troas is where they head, and God encourages them when they are there in two wonderful ways. One is the vision. At least, well, at least two wonderful ways. Perhaps the third way would be the planning of the church. But one is the vision. They get the answer to their question. And two is Luke. And three, at least the beginnings of planning the church there. Verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Prior to episodes of spirit guidance are given to us in general terms, yes, but this event is detailed for us. The watchman waiting for the sunrise is no longer waiting. The question has been answered. And this is how God answers questions for guidance. He makes it very clear to us when we are knocking on doors, when we are engaged in His kingdom, because we love Him according to His law, looking to the situations with an eye towards His guidance, we will have our question answered. God gives a double clear message to Paul. Note this, they're not sure where to go. He gives a double clear message. The, it wasn't just an angel. It wasn't just a man. It was a man of Macedonia. And somehow the appearance shows that he was a Macedonian. I don't know if he had a placard around his neck or if it was his clothing or if he said, I'm a man of Macedonia. Now, was it a man? Was it an angel? We're going to see some very serious spiritual warfare going on when Paul gets over there to Philippi as we look at the texts to come with Lydia and then with the casting out of that great demon. We'll see it was a great demon that was cast out, probably the demon of that region or even of a larger area. 
We don't know if it was an angel or the angel of that area. But in any case, it's a man of Macedonia. So what is he getting answered? Where to come? And then it's very clear. Come over to Macedonia and help us. So, question answered. And we should rejoice to know that our God still leads us. Our shepherd still cares about whether we're doing the work that he's called us to do in the right place at the right time. So God gives Paul an urgent message, not just a double clear message, but it's also an urgent message. And this is instructive for us when we're teaching, when we're reaching out for God's guidance, you better be ready to move when he gives you instruction. So it's a vision in the night, wakes him up, and the man of Macedonia is not sitting. He stood, and he's not just talking, he's pleading. It's urgent. So both of these points would add time urgency to the command. So now the where of their question is now clearly answered for them. There's a new time component in urgency. They are to go over to Macedonia and now. So as the Lord leads, brothers and sisters, we see here for them that the darkness fades, the dawn arrives, and finally the sun shines bright and clear upon their minds. And listen, the same is available for you and for me. Do you understand that? Is he the same God today? Can we be gripped in our hearts with love for Christ like Paul and Timothy and Silvanus and Luke? Can we love his law like they did? Can we desire to see his kingdom come forth in the earth like they did? Can we learn to look at the providences of life and see God's guiding hand like they did? Of course we can. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His Word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. The watchman seeking God's guidance is not passive. This watchman is looking, looking. Paul and his team, they're searching, they're looking, they're active. Waiting patiently for God is not passive. <clears throat> what does he say? He says, help us. Help us. It is a general request. It's a general request. Note that. And they're asking for assistance. And often, those who are in need, who may not understand the great need. They don't really know what their actual need is, but they say, help us. This should teach us about humility to ask for help. Commentary says, people have great need of help for their souls and it is their duty to look out for it and invite those among them that can help them. So we, we should be actively reaching out to one another for help with our souls, with our bodies, with our finances. Helping one another. Supporting one another in life. Be humble enough to ask for help. Next in verse 10 we see immediate obedience. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. <clears throat> Commentary says, note God's call must be complied with immediately. As our obedience must not be disputed, so it must not be deferred. Do it today, lest thy heart be hardened. Observe here, they could not immediately go into Macedonia. But they did immediately endeavor to go. 
If we cannot be so quick as we would be in our performances, yet we may be in our endeavors, and this shall be accepted. They immediately began their way for Macedonia. And again, I want us to note the Lord's guidance came to those who would obey immediately. It is a worthy question to ask if they would have received this same guidance if it had been their plan to go sightseeing first. Would they have received this guidance if they uh, would look kind to worry fret about the journey over the sea and make sure they got just the right boat, just the right transportation? Would they have gotten this uh, direction if they were hand ringers uh, about going to a Roman colony overflowing with paganism, knowing, likely knowing the decree of Claudius earlier that Judaism had been outlawed? And bad things had happened. Would they have received this guidance if they weren't going to obey immediately? If they were apt to make excuses about the command itself or the timing of the command, would they have received the vision? I don't know. I mean, maybe the vision helped them become a different kind of person. But it certainly appears that being the kind of person who will obey immediately is very helpful when you're seeking guidance from God. Brothers and sisters, knowing the mind of God, our calling in life, is very, is very critical. And we see that on display here in terms of their teleology, their specific goal. They knew they were to seek to plant churches. Commentary says, Know that he knows the mind of God in the matter he... Now that he knows the mind of God in the matter... He is determined, for this is all that he wanted. Now he thinks no more of Asia nor Bithynia, but immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. And so we want to seek the Lord for this kind of understanding for our lives. And certainly he can change it. We need to be open to him giving new instructions. And and, and in fact, we kind of see that with Paul in the second journey. An initial teleology, and then a second one. Initially strengthening already planted churches, And then the second phase, planting new churches. Next, the text said, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. What a comfort this was to the team. They'd been searching. They'd been looking. They didn't know where to go. And they know God's specific call upon their journey at this point. And they are ready to go and see what happens. Ministers may go on with great cheerfulness and courage in their work when they perceive Christ calling them. Not only to preach the gospel, to preach it, but to preach it at this time, in this place, to this people. This is so important. Why do you think they go to the riverside where the women, where the people would customarily pray? There was no synagogue. They were looking. They were searching. They knew there was someone there that could help. I want to tell you that I have this sense of calling on my life about this town, and this county, and this church. In this place. Okay? God could change it. I grant that. But my plan now is to die as I'm continuing to try to see this church established for the gospel as a planted church to the end of time. Established, growing, glowing, a place for the gospel to be declared and lived out here in this town, in this county, until Jesus returns. I have this sense. And I'm very, very grateful for it. Um, Moving on. What does Paul conclude? So the Macedonian man asks for general help. 
And what is Paul's conclusion? This should be our conclusion too. Help, ultimately help, is preaching the gospel to them. Listen to what it says. You see it right there. <clears throat> that they, they determined immediately to go to Macedonia and preach the gospel. The ultimate help. I do want us to consider this for just a moment. And, and think about it. Many missionary efforts are initiated because of great local needs for much help. In many forms. Hurricanes, floods, things of this nature. Poverty, sickness. But the greatest help, the eternal help, that must never be set aside or marginalized in our efforts to help others. It must never be a second priority. It must be the first priority is the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the lost. This must be our number one priority everywhere we go. And yes, we go to help. This is, though, the greatest help for the greatest need. And our help in other areas with their bodily needs, with their emotional needs, with their relational needs, with their physical needs, with their financial needs, will demonstrate to them the comprehensive nature of salvation and real love. Loving them the way you'd like to be loved if you were hungry or cold or naked or threatened or sick or you'd lost your home or your clothing or your, or your friends or you were imprisoned. How would you want to be treated? Especially think if you were lost. You would hope that someone would come to you and meet those needs but their first focus and their first hope would be able to bring you from the kingdom of darkness, give you the gospel, and watch as Jesus brings you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So that's, that's Paul's mindset. Paul is not distracted from his teleology, from his goal. <clears throat> we should be encouraged here because Luke joins the team. I want us to consider this. Concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. After all of this guidance that's going on here. There's the first obvious fruit presented to us of coming to this spot, aside from the vision, is Luke. Now, this is a great providential outcome of God's guidance for this team. Now, and it goes along with, if you ask God for one thing that's really good, He'll often give you ten things that are even better. Right? We cannot think or imagine of how much God will bless us and how He graciously pours out His blessings upon us at times. So they got way more that they asked for. They meet Luke. They love Luke. And he joins their journey. And I want you to note this. Luke, he's not just a historian and author. It says, called us to preach the gospel to them. See, every team member is a preacher of the gospel. We're all called to be preachers of the gospel. You need to be able to have the word of God come out of your mouth to present the gospel to the people in your life clarity and with confidence. So, John Mark has been replaced by Timothy. And now, his Barnabas has been replaced by Luke. Think about how happy he must be now. He's got this new, solid believer who's with him. And who will serve him all the days of his life. It's very likely the last books written by Paul were actually written by Luke's hand, as Paul told him what to write. Luke joins the team. 
You never know what kind of blessings God has for you, brothers and sisters, when He's closing doors all over the place. Please remember this. Some of these closed doors can be crushing, and you just don't know if you'll ever get over the pain. I mean, you've all felt these kind of things. Maybe the younger ones, you haven't felt it yet. But that's God's blessing to you when He closes those doors to prepare you for better things. I hope you'll remember that. So important. I'll encourage you in dark days. So I hope that you'll see here the Father giving the kingdom to His little flock then. And I hope that you will receive the message that they had already received, do not fear. And to know that your Father in heaven loves you with an everlasting love. And He who gave His only Son, will He not also with Him freely give us all things, including guidance? Will He not give us a heart aflame for Him? Will He not give us minds that love His Word and His ways and are devoted to doing things His way? Will He not, will he not give us the clarity to even know the specific calling on our life, where we are going to go and how we are going to serve the Gospel? And will He not give us eyes to see providences and, and understand guidance? Will He not teach us biblical wisdom as well? Of course He will. He's still the Good Shepherd and we are His beloved sheep. And His Spirit continues to be poured out from His throne. And He will guide us. I hope that you're encouraged. A couple of quick questions. I've already hinted at all of these things just to bring it home. Brothers and sisters, will you please pray and consider your heart, your motives, your first love, and ask yourself, where is your heart's treasure? And see that if your heart's treasure is not in the right place, you'll be confused about guidance. But if Christ is your treasure, things will begin to clear up. Fog will begin to dissipate. Connected to this though, will you also examine yourself and see if you love God's law? Do you love every jot and tittle of His Word from Genesis to Revelation and desire to see His law lived out in your life? His law of love, to love Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Do you desire this in your life? Is this true of you? Do you treasure His law greater than gold and silver and any earthly riches? If your heart is aflame for Christ and your mind is being constantly renewed by His Word, oh, the fog is really lifting then. You might even begin to see glimpses of a sunrise as you're seeking God's guidance. But you'll remain in the dark if your heart is filled with idols. You'll remain in the dark if you're tricked into thinking that your great Savior doesn't have a great law. And finally, consider your goals. What are you trying to achieve in this decision? In this particular decision, what are you trying to achieve? What is your goal? Is it God's kingdom? Do you have God's goals? His kingdom coming to earth as you're considering the decision that you're making. When you are blessed with this, oh, the fog is gone. The sun is rising. The providences of life become so many beautiful shadows and glistenings on the pond as the sunshine of His 
guidance by His Spirit shines into your life. And he, at that point, He's speaking to you everywhere. And you know that's what He does. And, and the people He puts in your life will help you interpret these providences properly. The Word of God in your life will help you interpret His providences properly. So consider your situation and its providences. Consider the closed doors, the open doors, and everything in between. And you see that He indeed leads you in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Hope you'll go forth encouraged today that God will lead you. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, how we rejoice in Your great love towards us, Your people, that You've saved us from our sin. You've filled us with Your Spirit, the power of the resurrected One dwelling in us. You've granted us minds that love Your Word being renewed. You're transforming our hearts and our souls to find You as our greatest treasure. You're granting us the love for Your kingdom, O Prince of Peace, and You're helping us as we walk day by day to see your guiding, glorious, guiding, tender hand of providence in every painful closed door, every joyful open door, and everything in between. Oh, thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.